love that he gets us campaign. If you've watched a football game, Super Bowl, World Series, scrolled on social media, chances are uh, you've probably seen one or two of them yourself. And, and really the heart behind this campaign is to reintroduce people to Jesus, to show him who he is and what he's truly like. There's so many weeds that have grown up that I think really keep us from being able to see the true Jesus. And this ad campaign is wanting to just clear all of those out and, and all of those things that get in the way and just point people to who Jesus is, and hundreds of thousands of people across the country have expressed an interest in Jesus because of one of those commercials, because of that ad campaign. And, and I think in a lot of ways, it, it is the heart behind this new series that we are starting today, uh, this new series called In the Margins. And over the next four weeks, we are going to see how Jesus moved towards the outcast. How Jesus moved towards the, the ones that others had kind of pushed off to the side. And then we're going to talk about how as a church, we want to partner in what Jesus did. We want to move to the people that Jesus moved towards, the ones who are in the margins of our own society. And so that's where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. Uh, but to start today, I want you to turn to somebody next to you, in front of you, behind you, someone around you, and talk about this question uh, as we get going. What is the coolest thing you have ever seen or place you have ever been? What is the coolest thing you've ever seen or place you have ever been? All right, turn, talk to somebody about that right now. So I've been able to, to go and experience a lot of really neat things in, in my life. Uh, our, our family is going to the Grand Canyon next week for a fall break trip. We fly out tomorrow morning. I'm sure that I'll be able to put that on my list. I can't right now because I haven't been there yet, but I just kind of expect that that's going to make my list uh, next week. Uh, I, I have been able, uh, my wife and I several years ago, like pre-kids, uh, we went to a recording of The Price is Right with Mr. Bob Barker himself. It was incredible. We didn't get called up on the stage, but we got to be in the room where it happened. And I loved it. Uh, kind of a, a funny story about that, that experience. Uh, we, were, we were standing in line with this group of college students and kind of like, you know, talking, getting to know them. It was a pretty big group. And, and I was standing, once we finally got in there for the recording, I was standing right on the aisle. And one of the, the young men that was in that group that we were hanging out with got called up. And, and so he's running up and he's high-fiving everybody. And I have my hand up like this. And no joke, he looks at me and then he turns and he high-fives the person in the aisle across from me. Dude, I got denied a high five on national TV. And I was hoping like, oh, well, maybe, maybe the camera didn't catch it. Oh, no, it caught it. Uh, it totally caught it. But the redeeming part of this story is that he went up and the first item up for bid was a refrigerator. And he bid $4,000 on a refrigerator. 
And like now, it's like, yeah, $4,000, that's about right. Uh, but then, I mean, that was unheard of. And Bob Barker made fun of him for so long that they had to stop recording and then start over again. So I was like, sweet justification. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I got to be at a Cubs game one year when they clinched a division. Not many people are able to say that they have seen that. Uh, maybe one of the coolest places, though, I have been to is to the top of Mount Arbel uh, in, uh, in, in, in Israel, uh, overlooking the Sea of Galilee as the sun uh, rose up over the waters. Uh, a couple of guys that I went to Israel with, they were runners, and so we, we got up early one morning, uh, at like 3.30 in the morning, and we just ran kind of a little trail that went up to the top of this place, actually broke into a national park, but like, don't tell anybody. Uh, so that we would be able to see this. We got to this point uh, five minutes before the sun rose over the Sea of Galilee. And I just, I looked at that just imagining like somewhere on those waters, uh, Jesus was walking out to his disciples. Just a, a beautiful, beautiful experience. And like Quentin said, definitely praying for, for that region. And, and so all of these were, were cool. And I imagine that you had some that you could share. And, and, and as great as they were, I don't think that any of them compare to what the people in our text got to experience, the, the, the people that, that we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. And that's going to be our text for today, Luke chapter 4. Uh, in, our, in our passage we find Jesus uh, towards the beginning of his ministry. And, and at this point, everything is going really, really well. It's all up and to the right. It is, uh, Luke says that Jesus is growing in wisdom and influence. Uh, the Holy Spirit is moving in him and through him. And because of that, there are just some incredible things that are happening. Jesus is crushing it. And news about him is spreading. People are starting to take notice. And so he would go into a town and they would invite him, Jesus, come and teach in our synagogue. They would, they would treat him as this guest of honor. Everyone was singing his praises. And that's our context as we come to verse 16. Look at it with me. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. I love this. Let's just kind of pause right there. Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus was like us. Jesus was a churchgoer. Jesus, the, the word of God, prioritized worship and taking in the word of God each week. It was something that he was just accustomed to doing. And, and as the hometown kid, this, this rising star, Jesus was probably invited to join them and to take part in their worship gathering. A synagogue service would typically include like some opening prayers, um, some songs. They would recite the Shema together here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would recite that. They're, they would read uh, a passage from the, the, the Torah, the first five books of the law. Uh, they would read uh, a passage from the prophets, and then a rabbi would get up and begin to teach on, on the scripture that was read. And after that, they would close with a little benediction and a prayer, and they'd be uh, on their way. And, and so Jesus goes to this. He, he attended this. And, and as a guest of honor that day, Jesus was probably asked to choose the scripture that he wanted to read, the scripture that he wanted to teach on. 
And, and I love, whenever I'm with a group of, of pastors, I love to ask the question, if you had one passage that you could preach on, what would it be? It's a question that uh, I picked up from Stephen Feigert, our director of, of Sherwood Kids Ministry here. And, and I find that I can really tell a lot about somebody and how they respond to that. If you had one passage, what would it be? You can tell a lot about their theology, about their understanding of God, about grace and mercy and, and mission. And in a way, Jesus was asked that question. Jesus, you have one passage. What would you like to preach on? And this is the one that he chose He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written in Isaiah, the same book that Quentin read from us earlier. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. What is he going to say? And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's easy for us to miss the cultural significance of this, but this is a mic drop moment for Jesus. He would have read this passage found in Isaiah 61 and and people would have already been like, oh wait, that's a passage about the Messiah. This is a passage of hope, of promise, of God sending one to rescue us. They knew about the coming Messiah, God's savior for Israel. And so for Jesus to say today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing is monumental. This is Jesus saying, I am the Messiah I am the one that we have been waiting for. It's an incredible moment. And Jesus could have picked any number of Old Testament passages to to make this declaration. There were over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. Jesus could have picked out any single one of them and, and made this announcement. But I think he chose this passage for a reason. Not only did he choose Isaiah 51 and part of 58 to announce his messiahship, I think that he also chose this passage to announce why he came and those that he came for. If you look at it, there are two reasons why Jesus came that he mentions here. First, he came to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim good news to freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, uh, which was this tradition that the Lord tried to implement. And we don't know that Israel ever practiced it, where every 49 years, every debt would be forgiven. If land had been um, purchased or or seized, it would be given back. Families would be restored. It was a, a year of absolute forgiveness, debts and all. And so Jesus, by pointing to that, he is proclaiming forgiveness. Jesus came as a preacher of good news. But Jesus also came to be a liberator. He came to set the oppressed free, release them from their bondage. Jesus is a liberator. He not only preached about the good news, he made it possible for people to experience that good news in their own life, that good news of freedom and forgiveness and recovery. And notice the ones that Jesus came for. It was the poor. 
It was the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. It was for people that were living on the margins of society, alone, rejected. And he could just be talking about people that were experiencing these things physically, but I don't think he is. I think he's talking about people who experience these things spiritually as well. He came for those who feel spiritually poor, who know that we have nothing on our own to offer to God, no righteousness of ourself. He came for those who were held captive by their addiction and their sin. He came to give sight back to, to the blind, the spiritually blind who, who cannot see the goodness of God all around them, who feel like they are walking through darkness and despair. He, he came to set the oppressed free. That word oppressed uh, means shattered into pieces. And so Jesus came to restore broken hearts, broken lives, broken people back to the way that God intended them to be. He came to give freedom and forgiveness. Ultimately, he came to cancel the sin debt of those of us who know what we need to be forgiven of. And what we see in this passage and what we see all throughout the gospels is that Jesus moves towards those in the margins. He moves towards the ones other people moved away from. He moved towards the ones who knew that they were in need, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Jesus is good news for those of us who are fully aware of our brokenness and our pain and our sin and, and that we are in need of a savior. And so that's what Jesus' sermon is all about this day. How does the, the crowd and the congregation respond? Verse 22 says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? At first, Jesus is met with all kinds of praise and adoration, but at some point along the way, I think that people started connecting the dots. They, they were connecting the dots like, wait, Jesus, this guy's one of us. Like, that's kind of cool. Messiah's coming from one of us. But, but then they started connecting some other dots. And I imagine at some point they were like, wait, is Jesus saying that we are poor? Is Jesus saying that we are prisoners, that we are blind or oppressed? Is Jesus saying that we need him to save us? He's one of us. <laughs> we know this guy. We know his family. We grew up with him. I think the people of Nazareth had a little bit of a, of a complex in a, in a lot of ways, they were a marginalized people in and of themselves. They, they were looked down upon. They were mocked. When one of the disciples found out that Jesus was from Nazareth, his response was, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And, and so the people are, are like, Jesus, who do you think you are? Do you think you are better than us? Do you think that you are God's gift to the world some reason, somehow? You're one of us. We don't need you to save us. And Jesus knows what they're thinking, not because he's God, but because he grew up with these people. <laughs> and so he says in verse 23, and surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. In other words, who are you to say that we're sick? You're, you're one of us. You're sick too. 
And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. They looked at Jesus with a suspicious eye. And they're like, listen, if you don't impress us, if you don't wow us, we're like, who are you to, to make us think that you're better than us, that we need you to rescue and save us? I think the problem is, is that they were all too familiar with Jesus. And their familiarity with Jesus kept them from being in awe of him. They knew him. They knew things about him. And that familiarity was actually getting in the way of them seeing Jesus. I think this is a cautionary tale for us even today. For those of us who have been followers of Jesus for any amount of time, we can become so familiar with Jesus that we are no longer awed by him. We can become so familiar with his grace that we are no longer amazed that it would save a wretch like me. And we can think so highly of ourselves and, and feel so self-righteous that we look and, and we think, well, no, I don't need grace anymore. I don't need Jesus anymore. Thank you that, that you gave that to me here, but, but I'm good now. And we forget that we are the very ones that Jesus came to seek and save as well. And the people in Nazareth that day were too familiar with Jesus and they missed the Messiah who had come to set them free as well. They had forgotten their absolute need and dependency upon God and felt like they were just fine. And Jesus is like, listen, if you are too proud to embrace the grace that is standing right in front of you, then I'm just gonna move on. And then he, he in, in, in the next few verses, he points back to a couple of accounts in the Old Testament where God did the same thing. There were needs in Israel, but God sent Israel's prophets of Elijah and Elisha to people outside of Israel, to Gentiles, uh, to, to heal them, uh, to, to provide for them because they had faith in God where Israel did not. And so he brings up these, these stories. And in doing so, Jesus is saying, listen, the message of good news and liberation, this gift of hope and freedom and forgiveness, it isn't just available to you. It is available to everyone. He is saying this grace that you are rejecting is going to be made available to the people you have rejected. It's going to move towards the people that you have pushed into the margins and with that, they had had enough. They were washing their hands of this guy. And verse 28 says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out to the edge of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. What a, what a story arc here, huh? Like it, it starts with, wow, he is a great preacher. He's one of us, yes, to, to wait a second, isn't this Joseph's son? To, mm, I'm not really sure that I like what he has to say. <laughs> to, you know what? Let's grab him and kill him. Like I will take an angry email any day of the week. Just, 
don't take me to the place and chuck me off of a cliff. <laughs> and eventually they will kill him, but not today. And let's not miss the magnitude of this moment. In, in moving towards the rejected, Jesus found himself rejected. In moving towards the rejected, Jesus himself was rejected. He found himself literally pushed to the margins. And clearly Jesus touched a nerve. In their pride, the people that day missed the Messiah, but they also missed God's heart for the broken and the marginalized. God's care and concern for, for the ones that they had cast aside his embrace for those who feel like there is no way that God could love someone like them. In their self-righteousness, they were appalled that Jesus would even imply that they needed him. What I found in my own life, and I think what Jesus discovered that day, is that pride always wants to throw grace off of a cliff. <laughs> it does. Pride always wants to throw grace off of a cliff. Pride and its evil twin self-righteousness is threatened by grace. It doesn't see their need for grace. And grace feels scandalous to a prideful heart. It is offensive. The prideful person doesn't think that they need grace. And then they don't think that other people deserve grace. And they try to keep it from them. I've also found this, where pride always wants to throw grace off of a cliff, humility always wants to throw itself onto grace. Humility always wants to throw itself onto grace. A humble person doesn't hear about the spiritually poor or blind or, or, or oppressed and, and those who are held in captive and bondage by their sin and their addiction. They don't, they don't hear these things and think of, of those people. They, they see it still in themselves. They see the sin that so easily wants to entangle even in their own lives. They see their need, their continued need for the grace of God. Humble people don't deny their need for God's grace and they certainly don't try to keep that grace from others. That's why as a church, we want to move towards those people that Jesus moved towards. As people in the margins who, who have been set free and saved by Jesus, we want to move towards those in the margins of our world, move towards those who have been neglected and overlooked and given up on. That's why our vision as a church is to unleash the church with the love of Jesus, to go and make an eternal difference in the lives of at-risk people. That is what we want to be about Jesus came to proclaim good news to those who are in the margins of society, the at risk and the hurting, the ones who are well aware of their spiritual poverty and desperation. He came to proclaim good news of liberty and forgiveness and grace and release of bondage from their sin and their shame. We have been recipients of that grace who have put our faith in Jesus. And we want to be motivated by that to go to the people that Jesus moved to which is why we focus on at-risk people. We define at-risk as those who are spiritually at-risk. We will partner with others to tear down barriers that people have to Jesus, assumptions that maybe they've made about him, about the church. And we want to clear the path so that people can run into the arms of Jesus who loves them. 
We want to come alongside of the physically at risk. We will cross every socioeconomic divide to care for people and work for their good because we believe that each person has the image of God firmly implanted in them. They have value and dignity and worth. We want to move towards the emotionally at risk. We will go to any length necessary to bring hope to the hopeless, to come alongside of people who are caught in their hurts and their hangups and their habits. And over the next few weeks, we are going to see how Jesus moved towards the spiritually at risk, the physically at risk, the emotionally at risk how he removed the barriers that people had put up to God, how, how he gave dignity and worth to those who, who felt cast aside by others, how he meets us in our deepest pain and helps us walk through it. We're gonna see how Jesus moves towards us when we are in the margins and then how we can move towards others who find themselves in that same place people looking and hungry, not just for the gospel to be proclaimed to them, to be preached to them, but for the gospel to be experienced in their life as well. And as we close today, if you feel like you are in the margins, if you know that you are spiritually impoverished, that you have nothing of value to give to God, if you feel imprisoned by your sin or your guilt or your shame, if you feel like, like you are broken in your life and need of forgiveness, I want you to know Jesus came for you. He came for me. He came to proclaim the good news of God's grace and to set you free. And as he moved towards you, he made it available for you to move towards God, to be forgiven to be set free. I'm gonna pray and then Peggy's gonna come back up and tell us how we can accept that and how we can remember that now. Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you move towards us, that you continue to do so. Thank you that we, Lord, we, many of us in this room, we were the rejected, we were the despised, we were the outcast. We were the ones feeling alone, looking for a home. And thank you, Father, that in grace you moved towards us. And Lord, while we embrace that grace and we are so thankful for it, may we not hoard it, may we not just be grateful for what it's done in us, but may it motivate us to go out and to continue to be your hands and feet and to go to those people who find themselves in the margin of our world, who are hurting, who are broken, who are lost and in need of hope, God, may we point them to you, the one who set us free that can set them free too. Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can watch all of our video content, both current and past, on our YouTube channel? Visit youtube.com slash Sherwood Oaks to watch messages, series, and complete worship services.